Can we all stand and give Pastor Ben and his wife Praveena a Hope DXB welcome. Hey, hi, Hope DXP. How are you doing this morning? Amen. Can we, can, we, uh, can we shout a hallelujah for the Lord this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It's such a joy and privilege to, to, to do what I'm doing now. And uh, I count it as an, an amazing opportunity and an honor to come and preach the word of God to Hope DXP this morning. Amen. Cool. All, we'll get into the word of God straight. And I want you to open your Bibles to the gospel according to Mark and this morning, we're going to be spending all of our time pondering on the gospel according to Mark. How many of you uh, can, uh, can give me an answer? I want to, I want to make this uh, preaching time not very preachy, preachy, but I want to make it uh, very interactive. Can you, can you, uh, can you help me by, by, by your responses today? Okay, so how many of you think, or, or let me put the question this way, how many gospels we have in, a, in the scriptures? Sure. We have four accounts of the one gospel. Are you with me? We have four accounts of the one gospel. We have four evangelists who have taken selective materials for us to process the work and the message of Jesus. So gospels are not biographies. Sometimes the world calls it, or some of us, we have this idea of gospel are, the gospels are biographies. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are biographies of Jesus. No, it's not biographies. These are four evangelists who have selectively taken content for us, the church, to keep processing, to keep reminded of us, of what, what Jesus did for us, and, and to live our lives based on his teaching. Are you with me, church, this morning? Amen. So this morning, I'm going to be dealing on, on the gospel of Mark and, and Markan scholars. There are, there are scholars who deal with the gospel of Mark. There are scholars who deal with, with the gospel of Matthew. There are scholars who, who do a extensive work with the gospels. So today, I've taken, I've taken the gospel of Mark and, and, and Markan scholars, they basically give us an outline and they, they split the gospel of Mark into, into three sections. Three big sections, the Gospel of Mark. And this is how it is. Mark, you know what? The unique thing about Mark is he starts off with the ministry of Jesus, which is not the case with Matthew. Matthew starts with the genealogy. He gives a background of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Luke, he has his own way of, of bringing into, slowly bringing into the, in, 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 in Jesus into the scene. But Mark... He beautifully starts off with the ministry. He doesn't hover around uh, where he was born, how he was born, who gave birth. All that is, is secondary. It was not in Mark's mind. It was not in the author's mind. He straight away goes into the ministry of Jesus. So when we read the Gospel of Mark, he starts with the ministry of Jesus. And, and, and when, we, when, we, when we fully process, we could understand there is an intent behind the content. Can we say this? Intent behind the content. And Mark's intent behind the content is this. He writes to a group of persecuted Christians. Mark writes to a group of persecuted Christians. He says in his writing, the gospel writer, he says, hey, this, 
this following Christ, this discipleship is not easy. Can you turn to the person and tell them, not easy? Not easy. Not easy. And if you, if you have to give a theme for the Gospel of Matthew, if you and I have to give a theme for the Gospel of Matthew, this could be the theme, a suffering Messiah, a servant Messiah. Can we say this together? A suffering Messiah, a servant Messiah. I think, I think we are in the run-up to our resurrection service. We are in our run-up to our Good Friday and resurrection service very soon. And I think it's a good time where we can deal or, or dwell on the gospel according to Mark just to understand and grasp this theme that it's all about the suffering Messiah and a servant Messiah. And what did he do? Three main parts of the gospel, and if you could split it, the first part is all about the works of the servant. And if you read Mark's uh, gospel uh, from chapter 1 to, to chapter 8, in the middle of chapter 8, it's all about the works of the servant. What did he do? What all he did? What all he spoke? He, he, he clarifies. Mark, the gospel writer, talks about the works of the servant. And then from chapter 8, 22 onwards, till probably till 10, it's about the servant is rejected. Can we say the servant is rejected? And the final section in, in the gospel according to Mark is all about the suffering Messiah. It's all about the passion of Christ. It's all about the crucifixion and the resurrection and, and all that he had to endure for what he was sent for. So three segments or three broad sections that we can get when we process the whole gospel according to Mark. The first one is about the works of the servant, then the servant is rejected, and the sufferings of Jesus. And one more thing gets highlighted when we process the gospel of Mark. One more thing that gets highlighted when we process the gospel of Mark is, Mark portrays Jesus Christ as somebody who's always on the move. He's not a, he, he, Jesus, when you, when you read Mark's gospel, he was not somebody who was very, what do you call, uh, uh, slow. He was not sloppy. He was not lethargic. He was clearly purpose-driven. He was clearly goal-oriented. He had a focus, he had a plan, and he was always on the move. Can we say this, always on the move? Always on the move. How do we say this? How can we identify? Mark gives us some hints. Mark gives us some markers. What are markers when we are, when we are driving on the highway, those signboards that say, okay, Abu Dhabi this way or Sharjah this way. Those are markers for us to take and, 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 and drive accordingly. So Mark beautifully gives us markers that Jesus was always on the move and these portions of scriptures helps us grasp that. Let's read Mark chapter 8, 27. He talks about Jesus and his disciples went onto the villages around Caesarea Philippi and what was they? They were on the way he asked them. Mark, there's an intention behind Mark's writing there, on the way. Then when we read Mark 9.33, when you read, they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about where? On the road. Another one, Mark 10.32, they were what? On their way to Jerusalem. And then Mark 10.52, and followed Jesus where? Along the road, 
So the phrases on the way, along the road, on the way, along the road, Mark intentionally inserts for us to get this idea. Eh? Jesus was, was a go-getter. Jesus was always on the move. He was, he was not a, a, a resident evangelist settled in one place. No, he was always on the move. And we have enough and more scriptures to back it, saying that it was the Spirit of God who was leading him every single moment. Every single moment. The word immediately, if you, if you actually count in some translations, the word immediately Mark mentions close to 41 times in the Gospel of Mark. The word immediately. How, how many of you have had bosses who want the work done immediately? Right? I can see many heads nodding. We have some bosses who have work done, who want, who want us to do some tasks for them immediately. I was working and, and uh, God gave me the privilege to work for a long time. And I had a boss who will shoot an email to me. He was, the, he was just down the floor and he'll shoot an email to me. And then he'll walk up to my, my place and say, hey, Ben, I dropped you an email. I want you to work on it. And uh, I'll ask him, so how soon? Process it as of yesterday. <laughs> Sometimes we have some tough bosses. In fact, when we were talking about immediately and when I was putting these thoughts together, I was reminded God gave me an opportunity to, to work for Amazon.com. Probably this was 2003, 2004. Many years back at that time, Amazon was not as big as it is now. It was only in the U.S. and, and some parts were in Japan. It was not even India or, or UAE. So I, I had the opportunity to work from the Amazon headquarters in Seattle. And, and, and they, had, uh, they had bought an old hospital building. Amazon headquarters is still an old hospital building that they, that they purchased. And that's where the office was. And they had elevators that were not very fast. Okay, the elevators are still old at that time. So inside every elevator, there will be whiteboards and markers. Why? Because people can have discussions and meetings <laughs> while they were going up and down. Because they want work to be done what? Immediately. They want work to be done immediately. Jesus is all about focus. He was, he was task-oriented. He, he wanted to do things immediately. So with all that said, so what is the central message of Jesus? What was Jesus going around preaching and teaching? What was central message? When we read all these Gospels, this one central message stands out that Jesus goes around telling people the kingdom of God is at hand. He was not preaching tantalizing sermons every time. He was not giving, uh, he was not giving uh, sermons that would really please people. He went around with this central theme. He went around with this central message that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be saved. That was a central theme. So, so, so talking about all this, today we are going to be dealing between Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, 22 to 10. 8, 9, and 10. Just three chapters that I want to, I want to communicate and, and drive a central theme today. I will get there. What is the theme there? I will drive this. But the, the, the starting for us, for the readers, if you can open your scriptures to Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. It's up on the screen, but if you could also open up your Bibles. Mark's chapter 8. Verse 22 to 26, let's read. They came to Bethesda, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Are we all there? Yes? 
Okay, and touch him. <clears throat> he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. How many of you are familiar with that passage? What is unique about this story? What is unique about this story? Miracle happening in stages. Are you there? And another unique thing about this story is it's only mentioned in this gospel of Mark. It's not mentioned in any other, any other gospel accounts. We don't get to hear or read about this story. Here in this, in this story, Mark's, there, there is an intention why Mark is, is adding it here because here it's very unique. It's only found in the gospel according to Mark. And it's miracle. It's a miracle that's happening in stages. Can we say stages? It's a miracle that's happening in stages. But why did Jesus do this in stages? Why couldn't he just, he could have done it in, in one go. There were so many other accounts, there were so many other miracles that are reported that was done in one go. But why? Can you turn to the person and tell them, ask them why? Why do you think so? Because Mark, Mark has an intent. There is a reason. Mark is trying to to communicate to us readers several thousands years later, he is having still that same intent. He's still having the same intent. And I've titled this morning's message as, Do You See? Ask the person next to you and ask them, Do you see? Do you see? Mark's arrangement. Mark is arranging this miracle here and there is a reason and, and when we ask this question, why is Mark arranging this miracle here? When we ask this question, why is Jesus taking this miracle and doing it in stages? All we have to do is this. We need to just go up a little and start Mark's chap Mark chapter 8, verse 17 to 21. We read, we get a clarity there. Mark chapter 8, verse 17 to 21. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, what did he say? Do you still not understand? Sometimes as disciples of Jesus Christ, we don't understand. That's why I titled this sermon as, Do You See? Do You See? Because the, the primary reason Mark is arranging these miracles, and especially from chapter 8, 22 to 10, the primary reason is this. Mark wants to communicate to us as readers the blindness of the disciples. Are you with me, church? 
Mark is trying to pass on a message. Hey, these disciples who were with Christ, they were still blinded. And sometimes we need to accept the fact we too are blinded. Are you with me, church? The next miracle further explains this. Let's read Mark 8, 27 to 30. Mark 8, 27 to 30. Jesus and his disciples went on to villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what do you say, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about this. So here Peter is asked to be quiet. Peter is asked to be quiet. When you read these two miracles, this, the first miracle is the miracle that is taking place in, 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 in stages. And there is a, another miracle that's mentioned, again, a blind man receiving eyes, eyesight in chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. It's not there on the slides, 46 to 52. There is another blind man miracle. Remember, the blind man who was, who was waiting for, uh, for many, many years, and he calls out to Jesus, and Jesus says, yes, you'll be healed. So two blind men receiving a miracle, beautifully positioned by Mark, for us to understand that even after so many years of following Christ, there could be some blindness in us. How many of you have, uh, have a bookshelf in your, in, your, in your house? Some of us have one. Some of us, we know, we see some places there are bookshelves. Have you seen bookends? These bookends, the, what is the job of the bookends? To make sure that the books are intact, they don't fall off. Similarly, these two miracles, one miracle happening in stages and one miracle happening in one go, both are miracles of blind men receiving sight, acts as bookends. Can we say this word, bookends? Acts as bookends. And in the middle, Mark packs us important information so that we can read it and help us come out of our blindedness. Are you with me, church? Hallelujah. Great. So let's move on. So, so, so let's, let's, look up, let's, let's read this in, 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 in Mark's gospel, chapter 8, verse 31 to 33. This is the first time Jesus talks about his passion. In the sense, he's talking about the suffering that he is going to endure. And I call this as passion prediction one. Passion prediction one. So can we all read it together? Can we all read it to Mark chapter 8, 31 to 33? Let's, let's read this. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. When, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Passion prediction one. And I want to... I want to I want to call a volunteer. Can I have Stanley? Can you please help us? I don't know whether it's okay to do this. Yeah, it's happening. So let's see. You know what's happening here. Let's let's read the text here. So he's talking about the Son of Man must suffer. Okay, he's talking about the suffering that Jesus is going to endure. And after listening to what Peter heard, and what was Peter's response there? What is, what does he say? And Peter took him aside. So let's say this is Jesus, okay, and I am Peter. 
So Peter took him aside. He's saying, hey, Peter, hey, Jesus, what are you talking? What are you talking? And what does Mark's text there? What did Peter do? Can you, can, you, can you say the word? Come on, louder, please. You rebuke. See, now who's rebuking who? Okay, we've always tuned to Jesus rebuking. We always tuned to the, the, the rebuking coming from Christ. But here, Peter is rebuking Jesus. He said, hey, what are you doing, Jesus? Have you gone nuts? Are you with me? And then what was Jesus' response? What, what did he say? He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus, what did he do? Turned and... Let's pause for a minute here. So now this is Peter. And let's assume I'm Jesus. So he's rebuked me. He's rebuked me. We are having this conversation and you're facing our backs. And, 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 and now, now Jesus, talking to Peter, he turns back to who? He turns back to the disciples because Jesus knew that Peter is just a class monitor. <laughs> the other 12 also has the same intention. So he, 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 he has one hand on Peter, but he turns back to the disciples and then he says, what does he say? He, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Thank you, Stan. Thank you. Just one sentence, but when we take time and process it, it gives us the context behind it. So these guys who are following Christ, who are living with Jesus, who are walking, talking, going from villages, towns, cities, they didn't get what Jesus was talking about. Are you with me? And Jesus clarifies. You know how beautifully Jesus clarifies? Mark 8, 34. He clarifies this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, what? Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Hope DXP. Can you say this together? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. This is the clarification that Jesus gives when Peter rebuked him. Passion Prediction 2. Let's go to Passion Prediction 2. Mark 9, 30 to 32. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus, said, Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Ma Mark is telling us they did not understand. Still they are not understanding. And Mark further tells us they were afraid now. Earlier Peter went and rebuked, right? He went and rebuked and Jesus gave an explanation. But when again when Jesus was talking about his, 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 his suffering, they still didn't get it. But this time they were smart. They were not wanting. They were not wanting to ask Jesus. They were afraid. That's what Mark records for us. They were afraid and they didn't want to ask him about but Jesus clarifies it again. Let's read Mark 9, 33 to 37. We are going in an order, Mark 8, 22 onwards. So Mark 9, 33 to 37, Jesus clarifies. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about where? So Jesus observes, hey, these guys are arguing about something. So when they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, 
they had argued about what? That's why I've titled this sermon as, Do You See? Because they were not seeing what Jesus is seeing. So he's asking, what, what were you guys up to? I saw you guys were arguing and there was a lot of commotion while we were on the road to Capernaum. But they kept quiet. They didn't want to answer Jesus. Why? Because they were arguing about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them, talking to the child, or taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not, whoever does not welcome me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So time and again, Jesus is talking about a very serious matter. He is talking about his purpose on this earth. He was talking about why he was sent. He was talking about that he needs to suffer. He will die on the cross and he will rise again on the third day. He was again and again and again communicating his plan, his purpose, why the father sent him. But his own disciples did not get him. His own disciples did not understand. Today, church, that should not be the case with Hope DXP. We cannot be disciples of Jesus who do not see what Jesus is seeing. Are you with me? Third passion prediction. Let's read a third passion prediction. They were on the way up. They were, they were on their way up to Jerusalem, which is Mark chapter 10, 32 to 34, with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. He was where we are... We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. But the disciples were again blinded. You know, what was their response? But the disciples were blinded and, and this is what they were saying. Mark 10, 35 to 37. This is till 34, Jesus says, and from 35 onwards, 35, 36, 37, let's read the response of the disciples. Then, can we all read it together? Then, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in your glory. He's saying, hey, that's Jerusalem. We have reached Jerusalem. I'm going to enter, and after I enter Jerusalem, this is going to happen. They're going to catch me. They're going to, they're going to persecute me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to crucify me. This is what is going to happen to me. But the response from the disciples, that is what Mark is intentionally writing. The response was, Jesus, will you do anything that we ask you? And what did they ask? Who will be sitting on your left, on your right, in your glory. Sometimes, we land up in that situation where we don't get what our leader wants, but we will continue to do what we think is right. Today, the Spirit of God is here, and the, and the amazing song the band led, the Spirit of God is moving here, and I believe this is the word for Hope DXP, that this church needs to truly understand the call to be his disciples. Hallelujah. 
We need to grasp and understand the call for the discipleship. And, and Jesus now, after this, he further clarifies Mark chapter, N, chapter 10, verse 38 to 45. He says, you don't know what you are asking. Because they ask, no, who to sit where? So he's responding. He's saying, you do not know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, he's pausing, he's saying, Not so with you guys. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can we say the servant of all? Slaves of all. While the disciples were asking for glory, while the disciples were talking about, hey, I need to be sitting in your left and right and enjoy some glory, Jesus' response was, would you be slaves of all? Jesus' response was, would you be a servant to everyone? Are you with me, church? So that's, that's, the, that's, that's something that the, the disciples hopelessly missed. Do you know why? Because from their upbringing, the disciples from their childhood, they were always told that there was going to be a Messiah who was going to come and he's going to overthrow Rome. You should understand the context there. There's a Roman persecution happening. There's so much of persecution. So these disciples understood that Jesus is the Messiah, but their idea of the Messiah reigning, they were thinking it's going to be a governmental position. They thought Jesus is going to be the king. Rome is going to be out of the picture. So the disciples will have positions as ministers and rulers. And that's why they didn't hopelessly get it. And the, main, and, and the main thing the disciples were partially, the, the main thing here is the disciples were partially blind. They got the Messiah right, but they didn't get the message of the Messiah right. They were partially blind. And that's why I've titled this morning's sermon as, Do You See? Sometimes it's true of us, the scholars call this an issue of being self-absorbed. Can we say this word self-absorbed? What is self-absorbed? Self-absorbed means only thinking about self. That was the case with the disciples. They were thinking about them. They were thinking about them. And sometimes it is the case with, the, with us. We, will, we are so self-absorbed, we keep asking these questions. We deal with these questions. Questions like, will I be recognized? Will I be recognized? Will I get glory? I practiced, I played, and I, and I was in the band. But nobody came and said the band was doing well today. Nobody appreciated the hard work that I did today for the setup and tear down. Nobody appreciated what I did in church. Clinton and, and, and his family are not bothered about what's happening. We are so sometimes self-absorbed. And that, was, that, is not a, that is not a new thing for a disciple of Jesus because the, the 12 that time also were self-absorbed. The 12 that time also were self-absorbed. So with that setting the tone, I quickly want to give away a few takeaways for us as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So the call for a disciple of Jesus is this Mark chapter 8:34. Then he called the crowd 
to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And now I want you to understand the, 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 the response to the question that we started. Do you see? So can we say this once again? Do you see? So takeaway number one for us is the call for a disciple is this. We need to deny ourselves and accept Jesus. We sometimes accept Jesus, but we take a long time or we don't even take the time to deny ourselves. How many disciples of Jesus are here in this room? Can I see your hands? Amen. So let's understand what is the definition of a disciple. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is an adherent, is a pupil. Are you with me? So are we willing to learn the teachings that Jesus wants us to learn? Can we say this word? An adherent. A student. Jesus wants us to be his students. We need to understand in those days, they were never having Bibles like we have today. It was only what the apostles taught them as teachings of Jesus they learned, they became students of these apostles. And that's what Acts chapter 2 beautifully says, how, how well they were like disciples. They, they fellowshiped, they, they broke bread, they met in temple courts, they met in homes, they had everything in common. Why? Because that was what taught to them. So a first and the primary requirement for a disciple is we need to deny self and accept Jesus by being his student. The second one is, the second takeaway for us is following Jesus means we need to follow his teachings. Are you with me, church? Following Christ is like, we cannot be those partially blinded disciples. They got the Messiah, but they didn't get the message. So likewise, following Christ is about following his, his teachings. Let's read John chapter 8. Let's read what John is writing. John 8, 31 to 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We like the last part. The truth will set you free. But just before that, what is Jesus saying? If you hold to my teaching. So in order for us to hold to his teaching, we need to be students of his teaching. For which this 30 minutes or 25 minutes or 40 minutes preaching on a Sunday morning is not enough to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you with me, church? So the first takeaway or the call for a disciple is we need to really deny self and accept Jesus. The second one is we need to be following his teachings. We are, we are, we are familiar with the parable of the seeds. Remember the parable of the seeds? But when you actually read, it's not about the seeds. It's about the soil. So what is the soil that we have inside? The seed is the same. The word of God is the seed. The Holy Spirit is, in, is with us, but the soil makes the difference. But the soil makes the difference. So the soil should be fertile so that when we learn the teachings of Jesus Christ as a student, learning the teaching, the soil will do the work, and we are the soil. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let, the, the, the denying and, and, and in, in, the, in, the, in the first takeaway, I said deny and accept Jesus. I put a little diagram there. I want to I I emphasize on this little diagram. When you read the Gospels, when you read the teachings, this is what is expected from Jesus' teachings. Deny self, take up the cross and follow me. Is Many a times, we have Christ and his church 
as, as, as let's say priority number one. That is what is called partially blinded. When we actually see the teachings of Christ, when we actually get the teachings of Christ, we cannot have Christ and his church as priority one, but we need to have him in the center of our lives. My, myself and my family should pour into Christ and his church. My, my work should pour into Christ and his church. It's not that everybody should be full-time staff of the church, no. But my work, what God has gifted me, I need to be able to really build this church. My money, I heard uh, Clinton spoke about, this month is about uh, generosity is the theme. So my money is not my money, but I need to use this money to build the church, to build the body of Christ. So, so generosity comes in. And, and the teaching that Jesus gives with generosity is what? They gave cheerfully and they gave generously. And my possessions, it's not my car, it's the Lord's car that I'm using. It's not my money, but it's the Lord's money that I am keeping. Our whole orientation changes when we actually become disciples of Jesus Christ. For which we need to deny ourselves. We need to sometimes unlearn certain things and learn what Jesus is teaching. So that's, the, that's, that's one diagram I want you to take back home. I want you to probably take a picture and process it later. But denying ourselves and taking up the cross and following Jesus in a diagrammatic presentation is, this is how it should be. Let's move on to the third takeaway. The third takeaway as a disciple of Christ is we need to bear fruit. That's what John 15, 5, 8 and 5 to 8 says. And the fourth one is about community life. The fourth takeaway is about community life. You need to understand what church is. Today we are sitting in, Clinton and I, we were talking uh, in many of our gathering times and prayer times, what is a church? Are we doing church the way Christ and his disciples did or are we just settled with the 21st century modern day definition of the church? When you read Titus chapter 2, 1 to 15, it's not there, but read, it, read about it when you go back home. Read Titus chapter 2, 1 to 15, Paul tells Titus a particular way in which the churches should function. And it was not about the order of service. It was not about three songs, communion, announcements, sermon, and then benediction. No, he's not talking about that order of service. But Paul talks about, hey, set in order what lies in remains. And he's, he's appointing Titus there. And, and we read three household texts that needs to be in practice in every disciple, that needs to be practiced in every home, that needs to be in practice in every church, in Ephesians, in Colossians, and in 1 Peter. And that's, when, you, when, you, when we read this and when we process this, we truly become the church that Jesus wants us to be. Hallelujah. Fifth and the final one is, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are called to fulfill his mission. Can we say this? His mission. We are called to fulfill not Clinton's mission. We are called to fulfill not Ben's mission, but we are called to fulfill his mission because we are not disciples of Clinton. We are not disciples of the pastors here, but we are disciples of Jesus himself. Why do I say so? Because Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, if you read, so Christ himself, what? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers for what? Come on, let's read it louder. To? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So the sermons that we listen to, 
the teachings that we learn, the apostles, the pastors, the evangelists, the teachers that God brings in. Why? So that we can be equipped well to go into this world, save the lost, build this church, and add as many people to into eternity. So a disciple should fulfill the mission of Christ. In most of the corporates, there is a vision statement, there's a mission statement, right? As disciples, we too have. And how do I fulfill this mission? Not by reading the Bible cover to cover. That is a good discipline. But I fulfill the discipline by these five Gs. Can you say this five Gs? How do I fulfill this mission? I live a good life, which means a life lived on the teachings of Christ. I build a good home, which means it's not a home with all the fancy interiors, but a home of peace. Amen? And I build a, and I have a good occupation. Good occupation is not about the, the top management positions or, or the CEOs. No, I'm talking about a work that is legal. A work that, that helps me to, to, to fend for me. A work that comes and, and helps, me, helps me to give to the, to the poor and the needy. I'm into good occupations. Fourth is I'm into good deeds. Taking care of the poor and the needy. Taking care of the hunger. And fifth is I share the good news. The, the problem is sometimes we head straight into the good news. We don't do the life. We don't build the home. We don't do the occupation. We head do, only to the news. And sometimes when people see the, receive the news but our life is not in alignment with the news, then the news that you gave doesn't produce any fruit. So to fulfill the mission of Christ, it starts with my life, my home, my work, my deeds, and then I share the good news. Then I share the good news. So finally, I want to ask this question and before I close. Do you now see, do you now see the call of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We cannot be partially blind what Jesus encountered. Because these disciples, before the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, they were partially blind. But the moment the Spirit of God was poured out upon them, on the day of Pentecost, when that 120 were gathered in the upper room, then they went around turning the world upside down. How many of you can say that you are a Spirit-filled disciple of Jesus Christ? Yes. Hallelujah. Are you willing to fulfill the mission of Christ? Hallelujah. Are you willing to learn the teachings of Christ? Hallelujah. Are you willing to see what Jesus wants us to see? Amen. Amen. Let's all pray. Let's all pray. I want you to, to, to rise up to your feet and I want to pray a prayer and then I want to hand it over back to Clinton. Father, I thank you for, for this morning. I thank you, Jesus, for, for the word that was preached. I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, or Master, would, Lord, would take this church and you would, Lord, would use this church to fulfill your plans, O Master. Jesus, I pray a prayer of blessing over this church, O Lord. I pray that the disciples gathered here in Hope DXP will never be partially blind, but they will always see what you are seeing, O Master. They will always, O Lord, be an example, O Master, of denying self and taking up the cross, O Master. They will always be an example, O Lord, of learning the teaching and aligning their own lives according to the teaching, O Master. And this church, O Lord, will do great things and they will be a blessing to this city and to the many, many cities that you are going to take them across the world, O Master. Bless them. Bless the work of the hands here. Bless them, Lord. Every time when they gather, O Master, Lord, let this hall, O Master, 
keep increasing. Let them, Lord, must, Lord, Lord, see new people coming in and let them, Lord, must continue to, Lord, be as a family and be a community here and build your church, Master. In Jesus' most precious name, we pray. Amen and amen. Can we put our hands together and thank the Lord? Amen. Come on, appreciate Pastor Ben once more. Come on. I told you, I told you he's a man of the word. He's a man of the word. Such a powerful message.